Hey, welcome to the Catholic Center. 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 everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Catholic Dogs Podcast. In today's episode, Father Brian sits down with Joey Martinek, who's the Director of Pro-Life Ministries up at the Archdiocese of Atlanta. They talk about the meaning of art and faith, and they quote JP2 a lot, so it's a really great conversation. We hope that you guys enjoy it. As always, if you want to see what we're up to at the Catholic Center, you can follow us on Instagram at Catholic Dogs. Uh, you're a musical guy. Yes. You're a mu- you're a mu- <laughs> you're a musical guy, and you've written your own musical. Artsy, yes, with with, uh, with help from Greg and Lizzie Boudreaux. Um, I, I uh, Who I'm not I'm not a composer. I'm I'm a I'm a lyricist and a and a book writer, a, a story writer. But yes, uh, you're a I do book love, writer and a yeah, story like when writer. You, you think of like musicals of uh, you know you, you hear like who wrote the the actual music and who wrote the story. We refer to that the story as the book. So, oftentimes, you know, like Rogers and Hammerstein, those they're like two two minds that are kind of taking both things. So, um, I'm I'm artsy. I'm a I'm a writer. I'm a I'm a storyteller. Um, I'm not. I do not play any instrument. <laughs> so, want to be transparent there. So, uh, the musical I I I'd written is uh, relied on the musical talents of uh, Greg and Lizzie Boudreaux. Um, but but yes, there there are many different projects that I've worked on and, and continue to work on. And intersecting art and faith is another area of great interest in mind and and um something so what, I think needs to be explored more. Could you yeah. give some language to that? So like what yeah. is the intersection of art and faith? You're saying like an artist or a um obviously a composer or a musician or a poet or a writer. I mean, these are all ways that you can intersect art and faith. Yeah, uh, so many things to talk about there. Um, the first thing that comes to mind would be John Paul II, his words on his, his letter to the artists, right? Um, and he says, like, even in situations where the church and the culture are very far apart, art seems to remain a kind of bridge to religious experience, Right. And so, um, art because, and like, why is that? Like, why, why would that be so? Um, because art makes visible, um, our humanity, you know, like when when authentic art, at least, right. When, when like the art, the art is, is just allowed to do what art does. and, And I'm not even speaking about like churchy art or sacred art, which is, which is beautiful in its own sense. But like, um, when art is done and it, it becomes, it makes visible our humanity. And so when our humanity is made visible, we're able to see the marks of our creator. We're able to see the marks of our beginnings as, as God intended us to be that actually point to our ultimate destiny to be with him, right? Where we, where we come from and where we're going. Um, so in so much as art reveals our humanity, it brings us back to God because, um, we know we really don't know who we are without God, right? What does that mean to reveal our humanity? 
Well, I think in terms of, think of desire, right? You think of, think of what, um, you know, I, I'm sure you have some favorite, we could, we could probably talk some specifics of, of incredible movies that you've seen or, or you ever just listen to a, mu- a song like on the radio and you just start crying and you don't even know why you're crying, um, but it just touches you so deeply. It brings forth this like tremendous desire. Like I, I've been reading the Harry Potter books um, again and I've, I, my mom read them to me growing up. So I, I never actually like, read them myself, like the early ones. And um, I was so stirred by, uh, there's a point in which Harry, this this orphan who his his parents he he never knew when they were they were killed when he was young, um, he's given like a, a magical book of photos of his parents, and they're um, they move around in Harry Potter photo books like they they actually move around and so he's seeing he's given this gift of these pictures of his parents and and he's watching them, and um, and he's moved to he's, he's just, he can't speak he's so moved right and and I'm I'm feeling that too and it's like what um, what is that? Like, what is that desire that is being stirred up in my heart? Like, um, it's this desire that like, you came from this, Harry, like you came from this communion of love. Like, this is who you are. This is, you're not, um, you're not who the Dursleys said you were. You're not, you're not this reject. You're not this problem. Um, like you, you came from this love and you're made, you're made for a love like this. So, when it reveals our humanity, our, I think it reveals our deepest desires, um, the most profound, deep, and good desires, and, 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 and in some ways, our, our brokenness, too. So even this fictional Harry Potter book that has this scene in there of this character that you've been walking with and him looking at a picture of his parents and how it moves you, hmm. right? You're saying that, that even that is a, a fictional... Uh, piece of art, right? A, a novel that is is uh, communicating something, or or is artistic in the sense that it's revealing your own humanity to you as you read it. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. You put. You couldn't have said it any better. It 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 reveals to me myself, right? Um. And this is really the one of the central like missions of of Jesus too, right? not only to bring God to us, but to reveal us to us. Like he, like Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, it says Christ fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. So it's, um, yeah, I, I come to know who I am. And so art helps me to do that in so much as it authentically expresses um, what is going on inside of me, right? What what is what is really there and gives <laughs> makes that visible so that it, it it provides the questions that faith has the answers to i i heard um this one artist i've been working with lately is so so brilliant um he put it like this he said i you know i grew up grew up catholic and i left the church for a long time um because i was given answers to things that i that i didn't have the questions to like I was being, you know, I had all the answers, like as a kid growing up in, in the church, like I had all the answers, but I, but I had not yet begun to ask the right questions to where I felt like I needed these answers, right? And so only in a certain time in his life, he began to um, start asking questions. He saw the value <laughs> of what was contained in the teachings of our faith, right? And in, in the 
um, and the treasures that we hold. Isn't that amazing though? You know, like to, um, art gives us that ability to not provide all the answers, but to help us to start asking the, the right questions. Art has us help helping us ask the right questions. Yeah. So how does how does Christ reveal to us our own humanity? Oh, in in the in the fact that he um, assumed it, right? <laughs> so like what what I what I always talk about is like we we have we assume we know what it means to be human from our our experience, right? And in some sense, like it's it's real. We don't want to discount. Uh, you know, our, our own experiences, those are very, very important. Um, but in a lot of ways, like, um, a good analogy would be like, you ever, you ever started watching a movie halfway through, like you're at the gym or something and you start watching this and, and it's like, um, yeah, I can, I, I sort of figure out what's going on. You know, like, um, there's these, these magic stones and, and, you know, there's this guy with an ax and or a hammer, right? Um, and wants crazy guy wants to kill half the planet. Um, but then like you, you see the movie from the beginning and you're like, Oh, like that makes so much. I know what's going on. Like I know the whole picture. I know the whole story now. Um, for us, it's like every moment of our life and our experience has only been act two of a, uh, of a three act drama, right? It's only been act two, um, in the sense that, it's not taking into account if we don't know and we don't, um, we're not aware of this and we haven't reflected on um, our origins, which would be act one, which would be um, humanity as God created humanity to be before the fall, right? And so you have these blinders on thinking that to, for, to try to form an understanding of what it means to be human, you're just looking at act two, you miss the drama that happened in act one right? That led into act two and you don't take that into account. And so in very practical ways, you start like, we'll talk about this more tonight of, of, um, you start looking at the, the things that come out of our hearts, right? And especially as men as uh, what, what comes out of man's heart. Um, and the assumption is that God, God made everything, <laughs> every, every woman, every desire that comes out of this is, is willed by God. That makes sense if we're viewing, this, this kind of narrative as, as just act two. But when you take into account act one, you realize there's distinctions. There's, a, there's the creation and this fall that allows for this, um, this kind of divide in man's heart where now, now I'm actually inclined to things that go against my very humanity. At the same time though, not every desire or every inclination goes against my humanity that we, we don't believe in that, that we're utterly depraved, right? Um, that there remains this, um, you know, there, there's, there's more to um, what happened in the garden and he didn't, that we inherited than just sin, right? We, we inherited our goodness as well. We didn't, we didn't lose that. Um, so we don't need to cast the heart into this suspicion constantly, right? Um, so yeah, that, and Jesus, um, he's like us in all things but sin. So he, he is the historical expression um, the new uh, Adam, the new Adam. He's, he, we, we see exactly in, in so many great details of his life. And, and of course he's, he's with us still, right. And in, in so many concrete ways in this, in the blessed sacrament. But, um, we get to like, look, look, look what Pilate says. And this is John Paul II's thing. Um, 
Pilate says, you know, behold the man, right? He's like, behold the man. Of course, of course, Pilate's not doing theology there, but it's, it's very profound if the Holy Spirit's speaking through him, like, this is the, this is the man, right? Every other, <laughs> every other one of us, um, we, we, we are broken kind of versions of that. And God is desiring us through the, through the power of the cross to conform us into the image of his son, to conform us into the human, that to be, um, to be holy involves not an annihilation of our humanity, um, <laughs> but, but actually the, re- the full realization of it, right, as, as Christ fully reveals it to us. And the reason for the fall at the beginning in Act 1 is because of this freedom that we're given, yeah. which, which also allows us to love, Right, so, oh, yeah. uh, so I've had this conversation with folks about, uh, and we say it at, at during a wedding liturgy, a wedding rite, is like the first question that I ask a couple is, "Are you here freely and without coercion?" Right? Are you freely choosing each other? Right? Because love requires a freedom; uh, it requires two individuals to choose each other out of their own out of their own freedom. And so, going back to this Act One of this fall, it's like, okay, well, we were all bestowed this freedom uh, to be able to love, to be able to choose people, to be able to choose and to give ourselves to other individuals. But also with that is that we're also able to choose ourselves or to betray others. Uh, we're also given the choice to, um, to break relationships and to hurt our brothers and sisters and to not be our brother's keeper. Yeah, yeah that's, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that the the freedom um, the freedom that God gives gives man to 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 be able to love love God back um, astoundingly generous a great mystery. But yes, that's that's the only that's the real explanation for sin, right? Because um, sin sin can't be something that God willed, right? It's it's the result of of a human choice. Um, so and and praise God for His mercy, right? Praise and, God for His mercy. Right? And then Christ steps onto the sea, onto the scene in this Act Two, and chooses out of freedom to go to the cross, which is an expression of this love for not just the people of that day, but for the people of all time, and for the people of all places. Right, so all of the nations, the new Adam steps onto the scene in this act two and actively chooses out of his own freedom to love humanity to the point of death, to right. the point to the point of the cross. Absolutely, yeah. The, uh, the disobedience of, of Adam's corrected by the obe- obedience of Christ. You know, he's, he says, I, I, I'm not a hired man, like, no one takes my life from me. Like he's like, I, I lay it down freely. I have the power to raise it up again. I have the power to lay it down. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Jesus is, is, um, always about his father's will. I, I think it, it is, um, I think it is astounding the, the mercy of like that, this, this whole, even, even the idea of the incarnation of Christ, that this is not something God, had to do at all. He didn't owe us that, right? He, um, it could have been it after the fall, like 
Adam and Eve ate the fruit and then it's like they made their choice and like the God, like as far as God's concerned, like, okay, like, you know, whatever. I mean, this in the same way, this is how he treats the angels in a certain sense. Uh, Lucifer has a, has a similar test and fails and like, um, there's no revelation we know of, <laughs> of, of some, some type of redemption of angel is, is done, you know, for all eternity. So, yeah, the mercy of the Lord is so great. And so what does art do in in terms of this Act 1, Act 2, and then you said Act 3? Yeah, okay. So John Paul II says this, that inscribed in the depths of the human heart, there remains, he's talking about us, he's talking about us now in Act 2, inscribed in the depths of the human heart, there remains as it were, a distant echo of the original innocence of, of our beginnings. Okay. So it's almost, it's like a distant memory of, uh, what it really meant to be human from the beginning. And each of us contain, like has that inside of us, but it's a, um, to, to bring forth that echo we experience that sometimes in 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 life and in, in relationships, right? And the, I think the experience of um, I don't know, think think of the first time you had you you had a crush, right? Um, think of the first time, like I, I remember. I, this is funny around Halloween time, like uh, you know the the hocus pocus, the um, the older girlfriend and hocus pocus. I remember as a kid having a huge crush <laughs> on this girl, uh, you know, and I would just, I would watch Hocus Pocus all the time. It'd be like Easter time. Like, why, why are you watching Hocus Pocus? Like, oh, I'm just in the Halloween spirit. Right. Um, but you think about like when you first lock eyes with, with someone and your, your breath is taken away. Right. That, that in a certain sense, that could become an echo of Adam's experience after all this time of, of being around all these other bo- animated bodies, <laughs> um, even, even having like some type of eye contact with them at times, but like feeling something's, something's missing. And then seeing Eve for the first time, locking eyes with her um, and that wonder, right? That's deeply a part of our, our, our humanity, right? And so that experience relationally, like um, that could be like an echo, Right. But even even in relational experience, why we talk about art is because I think when we experience great beauty, beauty, especially through art, um, that stirs up that echo within us. Right. It it kind of brings that memory. Right. Just like for me, with Harry Potter, like that brought up this echo. And it's it's like, wow, I. I came from the Garden of Eden, like Harry, Harry's looking and seeing seeing his mom and dad in this in this communion of love where they're alive and they're like dancing together and they're happy. Um, and that, that's stirring this great desire up in me. That's, it's, it's almost like I'm looking at that photo book and I'm seeing Adam and Eve and saying like, th- these, th- these are, these are my parents. Like, this is where I came from. Um, this is what I was meant for, right? I was meant for this communion of love that Adam and Eve had before, before sin in the garden, before manipulation, before control, before gardenness, um, I was made for the communal love that they shared with the father, right? Um, so art 
in giving in giving expression to our humanity and drawing forth our desires, um, it creates this echo, I think, that takes us back to our beginnings. And if we are taken back to the act one and we really can soak in that, it becomes so much clearer where act three is, where we're ultimately going, which is our destiny to be in, in, in union with God. Um, what the, in, in creating us male and female, right? The, um, John Paul II teaches this, that, um, man becomes the image of God, not so much in the moment of, of solitude. And what he's saying there, he's like, yeah, you, you have dignity by yourself. Like every human person does. Like most, most people, um, can kind of get that on some level. And even in the church, that's like, uh, th- that's that's a lot of people kind of can grasp that idea that every human person has dignity, which is true and it's great. But he kind of adds a little layer to it. He says, um, man becomes the image of God, not so much in the moment of solitude, but as in the moment of communion, right? And he's referring to Adam and Eve and the communion they share. Why? Why would God, why would, why does man become in the image of God more in the moment of communion? Because God himself as revealed to us through revelation is a communion of persons. And so it's fitting that man becomes the image of God in, in communion. And what this also speaks is that I am a person called to that communion. Um, much more I could say about act three, but, but I think that's a good place to take a breath. <laughs> I mean, the, the reading that we had in, in, um, couple days ago and you know from Ephesians right St. Paul is quoting in in chapter 5 like um, you know for this reason a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife this is a great mystery but I speak in reference to Christ and the church so somewhere in as we're reflecting on act one and our beginnings and the and the echo that's inside me and the mystery of the call to communion of, of man and woman hidden in that is, is like a pointer to a deeper mystery of the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. And that is act three. That is all act three, right? This is, um, Christopher West always says this, that, you know, the Bible in five words, God wants to marry us. God wants to marry us. This, this was his plan. This is, this is, uh, the ultimate, what, what all married love is, is, is pointing toward, right? This, this greater reality, um, that every human person is invited to, right? Regardless of, you know, your circumstances in life and your vocation, like this heavenly marriage, um, is the wedding banquet in revelation that, that, that everyone is invited to. Christ in pursuit of humanity uh, for the sake of marrying humanity, for the sake of marrying or or what we say reconciling humanity to himself. Yes. Oh, yeah. And he, he ref- Jesus calls himself the bridegroom, right? He, call, he calls himself. This is amazing. Like He says, um, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, right? John the Baptist, um, who, who he, he uses the same analogy, you know, call, call, calls himself kind of the best man and, and rejoices when he hears the, the bridegroom's voice, right? Um, 
if you look in, you know, the, the Bible opens in Genesis, right, with the marriage of man and woman. The Bible ends in Revelation with the marriage of Christ and the church. Um, smack dab in the middle is, is the, the Song of Songs, right? This, this love dialogue between bridegroom and bride, right? Which is, by the way, you know, maybe, maybe a source of scandal for many, <laughs> um, many in the, in the churchy world, right? Uh, the language that is used there, I mean, the opening words of this book is, you know, the bride speaking, let him kiss me with kisses from my mouth, right? You think like what such type of like erotic image you might, shouldn't that be like censored in a churchy environment, right? Um, but Pope Benedict calls the Song of Songs the essence of biblical faith. <laughs> this is Pope, ben- Pope Benedict, right? This is not a, a man who is prone to sensationalism, right? Um, he sees something there. He sees something that the mystics see, is what, what, you're, what you're saying earlier. Um, why is it the essence of biblical faith? Because the story that God is, is writing throughout all scripture is his desire to have a relationship with us that the, the best imperfect analogy is marriage, is the, is the marital love between a man and a woman. Everything's going to fall short when we talk about God and the type of relationship we want to have with God, but uh, the best <laughs> imperfect analogy um, becomes marriage, right? We see it in so many ways throughout Scripture, and God choosing a people, Israel, and, and espousing them to himself, and then, um, and then in the person of Christ, the bridegroom himself, it, it taking on a whole new dimension where he actually... Uh, he actually gives us his body, right? This is what is said at every Mass. Isn't this astounding? Um, this is my body, right? Jesus Jesus actually um, giving himself to us completely vulnerable, completely naked, right? And this is this is what, you know, should ultimately be happening in a, in a marriage, right? Where there is that coming there freely. There is that total gift of self. You say, like, this is my body, um, and it's given for you. Was given for you. And that's the domestic church as well, right? So the uh, so families, uh, individuals who are in this committed covenant with each other uh, out in the world, imaging the love that God has for the world uh, by their own love that they have for each other. Uh, this self-gift to each other, imaging this self-gift that Christ has for his church as the bridegroom. Absolutely, yeah. And I know it might seem like, you know, this is like fanciful, we're talking an idealistic world, but I mean, where this intersected in my own life was at a, at a great time of, uh, great time of questioning, a great time of unrest. I was working... I was working in, in, in sales. Um, I was, I was Georgia tech. <laughs> I'm on i I'm on unholy ground right You're now. You're on Catholic dogs <laughs> podcast, but that's okay. I, I, we'll I, edit uh, that out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not yeah, letting anybody know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was, you know, I, I, I accomplished, all, you know, all the things that, you know, everybody told me that I needed to, to, to be happy. I got this, job I was getting way more money than I knew what to do with I was moved away from my family and 
got got a sweet apartment, total autonomy, like the the you know having arrived at the young adult life, um, and it was just so so empty, right? Um, I found myself saying to myself, like God, like God, is there more than this? Like please, like let there be more than this. And I think what is what was really scary, and and maybe um, some listeners can identify, is like I think it would have been better if I was not going to church during that, that great, um, that season in my life. Like, cause then it would have been easy to just like point to that and say like, ah, you, you just gotta like go to church. Um, you just gotta accept Jesus and like, then every, all your problems will go away. But like, I'm actively going to church and yet I'm experiencing this hopelessness. Right. And in addition to that, I'm seeing like all these great models that i you know, of, of marriage that I, I had like upheld at one point and, and thought like I wanted to be like completely crumble. Gosh. Uh, I'm seeing either that crumbling or I'm starting to see with new eyes what was really there all along, or should I say what was really not there all along. <laughs> right. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, if this, if this is my model for marriage, like I, I don't want to do that. Like why would anybody want to do that? Like the, these people don't love each other. <laughs> this is like a mutual tolerating of, of the other's existence, like mutual. You do this for me. I'll do this for you for, for the rest of our life. Like, uh, like, and I'm sorry, I'm asking these questions. Why marriage? You know, why, why, why can't you just be with someone? I'm, I've heard that I've heard the rules <laughs> growing up as a Catholic, wanting, wanting to, you know, live in the church. I heard the rules, but I'm starting to say like, you know, that, that worked for, a time where I was involved in a nice Catholic group of friends, but now this is, this is a really hard way to live. I'm going to need some better reasons if I'm going to continue to live um, in this way that's so different than the rest of the world that seems to be doing better off without, uh, <laughs> without like the restrictions. Uh, and so in this three time of questioning, I, I stumbled upon a, a book by um, Christopher West, which is my first real exposure to, the, the writings of John Paul II and what is referred to as the theology of the body and it's called Fill These Hearts was Christopher's book and I remember going into this chapel and, and just reading through a few of the chapters and I just started weeping. I just started completely weeping um, because what was presented before me um, was all the answers in, in, in like abundance of everything I had been wrestling with for for a long time, for a long time. And what I saw was so, it was so beautiful. It made me weep. Uh, it was, you ever been like wrong, but you're just like so happy you were wrong. Like you, you, you don't have to, uh, it's like, a, I'm glad I'm, I'm so glad I was wrong. Like it, it doesn't matter. I don't even care about being right or, or anything before, because like, who cares? Like what, what is here is better than anything. Like this vision of what it means to be man, what it means to be woman, what it means to be human that is before me. Um, this is better than anything I've ever seen. And it really became for me the first real reason where I, I guess I always shied away from, um, you know, we speak of evangelization and, and like sharing our faith. I really kind of like um, shied away from, from that. Cause I, I didn't, I think deep down, I didn't think anybody would really want <laughs> to be Catholic. I, I thought it was like a necessary thing to avoid getting damned to hell. But so you kind of had like trick people into 
<laughs> becoming Catholic or just like, you know, guilt them into it or something. But I didn't think anybody would honestly want that. For the first time in my life, I became convinced that if everybody saw what I saw, everyone would would want to become Catholic. Everyone would, they, they would, it would, it's like the pearl of greatest price where they would just stop what they're doing because this, um, this answered the, the deepest yearnings of, of my heart, right? This, and, and, and of, of the human heart. And I, and I, I just saw it identifying with so many other people that were facing the similar angst and struggles. Yeah. They've revealed yourself to yourself. It did. It's yeah, exactly. It's like the think of what the, the Canaanite woman said. She says, after after this encounter with Jesus by the well, the woman at the well, um, she tells people, "Come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done." Right. I I doubt that Jesus actually like took the time. Like when you were six years old, you stubbed your foot on the <laughs> on the wall. Like I don't think that that's what that is. Come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Come meet a man who helped me understand why I did all the things I did throughout my life what, and what I was really looking for. She, this is a woman who had um, five husbands, right? She, she, has, she has a past. She, she's, look, she's, she's been looking for love her whole life. And something about this encounter with Jesus told her and explained to her what she was really looking for. And it provided the the answer in, in the person of Jesus as well. Um, he's he's the one, right? He he is the one that uh, she's been with these five husbands. Another one she's with, number six, and then she meets Jesus, the the one, right? Number seven. Um, so yeah, it it reveals to herself, and it it, it so it so impacted me. <laughs> um, yeah, I I quit my job, and I immediately started discerning the priesthood, right? <laughs> which, which baffled everybody because, um, here I am immersed in this, um, <laughs> this, this, this great study of, uh, just swallowing everything I can get my hands on of John Paul II's, you know, writings on, on marriage and, and sex. And the first thing I do is go, go, uh, you know, pursue a life of celibacy. <laughs> Be like, we just don't get it. Like, um, are you, oh, are you like trying to be like a married priest or something? Like, like I'm like, no, I th- <laughs> you're totally missing it, right? My my view of of uh, my view of marriage was so completely changed that my view of celibacy also was completely changed. I, I saw how they were connected for the first time that they weren't these two disconnected things. You you really have to understand marriage to appreciate celibacy, and and in some ways, vice versa. Um, so. When that happened, for me, that was the first moment where the authentic discernment of priesthood could actually be possible because the, the celibacy was just such a block. I, I mean, just, I was just like up to that kind of conversion in my life. I just thought that would be a miserable life, you know, and like, why would anybody want, want to do that? Right. Um, so that alone, I mean, that, that's a testament to to the power and how this affected my own life that I would even do something like that where I am not the guy who grew up in a very devout Catholic home. I, I did not play mass as a little kid. Like I had no, um, 
desire. I, 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 I can't remember if I, I, I think you're, you're in a similar boat where you, your priesthood was not, was not something that you, you thought about as a kid. Maybe I'm wrong, but, um, so obviously I, I discerned out and I'm not, you know, pursuing that, that path anymore. And, and I work in lay ministries in, in the archdiocese. Um, and I, and lo- I love that, but, um, this was, this was a continuation of what God was doing in me, um, this, of this, this kind of conversion and, and still, still, God's still doing stuff in me in this. That's an intense conversion. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a moment that is like, I could even feel that and see that entire scene just like listening to you right now. Yeah. It's hard to, um, it's hard to believe that like, it, it, it amazes me to hear, hear myself like tell the story because for so long I was just stuck in the, you know, in, in the confusion, uh, you know, of what was happening and in the angst and in the, in the time of questioning. So maybe an encouragement to anybody listening who's, who feels like they've been stuck for a long time, um, with questions of faith, questions of themselves, um, that, that, that there is, there is an end that the Lord wants to bring clarity and light and in great abundance and how necessary sometimes that is to go through to, to help you recognize, like, I don't, I don't think I would have recognized the, um, the teachings of John Paul II for what they actually were had I not gone through this great wrestling with, what does it even mean to be human? Like, like what, what, why should I even like pursue marriage at all? Like, you know, these type of things. Um, and, and I think you speak, I'm not just speaking about like sexuality and marriage, on a more practical level, I, I was in a job that really started turning the like human people into Excel spreadsheets, right? And I think we see that a lot in in you know our world today of this this kind of more dehumanizing and turning turning people into numbers, right? And it was it was really I, I found myself being used by corporate America. And I observed my, I observed it like leaking out of me and, and suddenly I'm, I'm using others suddenly as I'm, you know, trying to sell people TI semiconductors, uh, I, I'm approaching those, uh, those sales relationships. I'm approaching dating in, in a similar, um, mindset, <laughs> like, but gosh, how crazy it is. Like, um, I, I distinctly remember this experience of in dating apps for the first time, um, you know, having spent just a little bit of time on that and you see, you see like a profile of a picture, even in like, you know, good, good dating apps, you, you just see a lot of, a lot of faces, right. Um, and you start looking at, uh, women in a certain way in that. And I remember like going from checking my phone on that to walking outside in the neighborhood. And, um, there were like, there were like girls that were walking their dogs. And I began, I observed myself looking at them in the same way as I was looking at, profile pictures in the dating app. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like what, what is going on with me? Like to, um, to reduce, you know, start how, how deeply that changed in just a little bit of time, how I'm starting to view everybody else. And, and like, that's not even pornography. Like how much more, um, how much more does that change what's going on inside of me? Right. Um, so what is the antidote to all those things? Right. And, and I think a deep study of, of, uh, of, of this teaching aided by the Lord himself and, and the sacraments, it really um, 
provides this integration that we need. It, it, it connects us back to our bodies and, and a world where we're so becoming so, um, you know, kind of disconnected from the reality of our bodies, right? And viewing ourselves so much in the Georgia Tech mentality as just like, you know, uh, like the body is just this machine that, that I, I drive, but who I really am is this, is this thinking thing, or, you know, I'm just, I'm just a soul trapped in the prison of my body or, um, these are, these are really harmful ways of viewing the human person that have so many, so many negative implications and, and denies the reality that we are, we are a body soul composite and the body and our nature is, is good, you know, broken, wounded, uh, but good. It's also prophetic, and you mentioned John Paul II in his approach, which we call personalism. So, like a personalistic approach, where you are identifying and identifying people as persons, as as uh, like you said, soul and body uh, individuals and people with uh, so much complexity, personality, all of this stuff, and and really restoring the dignity to the person. Uh, the person is someone with dignity who's made in the image and likeness of God. Um, and how it's interesting how everything else is kind of like getting rid of the person, mm. right? It, like you said, it's making them, uh, making individuals, men and women, uh, objects or just numbers or just positions and roles and jobs uh, as opposed to people, uh, as opposed to fostering that. Yeah, mm. so restoring that person that personalism oh yeah so important so important in all in all aspects and it's humanizing right so mm. uh, not just recognizing other people as persons but recognizing it yourself as a person someone and it's humanizing like you said it's the you're being um, yourself having yourself revealed to yourself having your personhood revealed to yourself it's dignifying. It's empowering, right? That's the that's the true feminism, of uh, of ca- that Catholicism proposes, is a true feminism is actually the uh, the empowerment and the humanization of women itself. Uh, same thing with masculinity, right? Uh, the true man is is man fully alive. Is is whenever uh, we ourselves rec- have our humanity identified to us, like we're saying, and then also actualized, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much the, uh, if, if, if that, if we really start treating each other as, as persons, um, as not, um, it's, it's so much the, the, the distinction between, you know, um, to actual, actual love, lo- you, you love a person. John Paul II says that the, the opposite of love is not hate, it's use. Um, it's like you use an object, right? But you love a person. You a person, you 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 never you never use, or you um, always uphold that dignity. When you get down to it, that um, that just changes changes so many things. It changes like when I go to Publix and like the the you know the cashier is is checking me out or the bagger. It's like it's hard it's hard not to look at the the name now, you know, and say like ah, you know. Yolanda, you know, it's like, even if I don't like strike up a conversation with her, like just to have that internal awareness, it, it changes the dynamic of things. And I think it, it creates like, uh, 
it creates like a positive feedback loop. I think people sense that too when they when they are seen, and they are treated, uh, not as a cog in the wheel, but as someone with a name, as a person, as a person. Yeah, hmm. I don't know. I don't know if you've experienced that. Yeah, I think in listening, a lot of my job is listening, and I think listening allows it creates a space. Listening to people creates a space for them to speak and to eventually just be themselves and to say whatever they need to say and it's it kind of um, mirrors to themselves that like you're yeah you're worth listening to right you're worth you're worth my time right now you're worth um, pausing my day or or scheduling my day so that you can sit here and say whatever the heck you want to say Uh, it's it's dignifying it's the restoration of the person Instagram at Catholic Dogs. See you at Mass.